0: thousand dollar bill, so what? It's bogus money, Max. Are you sure, Chief? I'm positive. That's funny. Feels real. Looks real. It's even got a picture of President Goldwater on it. (laughs) Thanks. Goldwater lost the election by 17 million votes. Oh yes, I remember now. Missed it by that much. How you guys doing out there? Good? Good to see you guys chatting. That's awesome. I can wait. Social time is good. Well, it's almost Christmas. Welcome. Welcome, you guys. Almost Merry Christmas. You guys already? Seven days away? <laughs> no, she says. Uh, glad you're here. We are taking a couple-week break from our Living in Babylon series. We will be back up on January 1st to finish that series out. Uh, we're going to spend some time this week and next week on Christmas. I don't know if you've uh, realized that next Sunday we will not be meeting. We will have a Christmas Eve service here uh, t- starting at 2.30. We hope to have some great music, mind-melding and mood-soothing music uh, from Karen and the special guest. And then the service will start at 3 o'clock, and we'll have you out of here by 4.00. And time to have dinner and uh, enjoy uh, Christmas with your crazy relatives and uh, your weird Uncle Wally. That's the idea for that. So let me pray for our our time here this morning, and we'll see what God might have for us. Lord, thank you for the day. Thanks for the music. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for this place. Thanks for the heat that's working. Uh, We pray that you would uh, descend on the place. Uh, Meet us here. Um, we, We ask you, we beg of you to do that. Uh, Maybe we can think like you think, uh, be like we're supposed to be as Christians, like you more, uh, even during this season of hecticness and all the preparations for family stuff and all the activities. Uh, Thank you for your love for us. Thanks for your display of it in this Jesus who came uh, on his own free will to make it possible for us to have life and life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've had a couple of videos. If you've been paying attention, one was uh, a, a golfer missing a one million dollar golf shot by just that much, and then we've got Goldwater missing the election, basically missing being president by just falling just short by 17 million votes. Right? It all kind of ties into what I want to chat with you about today. Let me just start with my with my own missed it that much story. They kind of kick it off. Uh, in my previous life, at one point, I had to take a really pretty hastily planned trip to Honduras. And the guys I was traveling with picked up the tickets, delivered mine to me, and said, here's where lo- we're going to meet at the airport, Dulles Airport. So I'm thinking, great, I pack, I get everything ready. I show up on time, throw my bags on the counter. They uh, whisk the bags off down the carousel. Uh, so they're gone. The lady took a look at, look at my ticket and says, uh, are you really planning to take this flight? I go, yes, I am. Thanks for asking. She says, well, you've got 15 minutes before it takes off. So the race begins through security into what I can only describe as the lumbering shuttle system between the Dulles main airport and the midfield gates. I arrive just as I see. A mid- it's really incredible. It's like a movie. I see the plane just pulling away from the gate. Missed it by that much. Okay, did the luggage make it? I don't know. Don't have time to find out. Grab another ticket, but hey, it's leaving from Reagan in an hour. I've got to get a cab, a telecabby. There's 50 bucks in it if you can get me there on time. Needless to say, a harrowing taxi ride later. I arrive at Dulles to find out that I missed that flight by just that much. Right? I didn't grab a later flight to Tegusagapa, the capital of Honduras. But surprise of surprises, it overflies. Honduras, and lands in Managua, Nicaragua. Interesting for me because it was a country that the U.S. at that point was sponsoring a rebel army to overthrow the government. So a tense two-hour sit on the tarmac before we take off. So I missed a lot of things on that trip by just that much. But it all began because I sort of did not pay attention to the most important thing, what time is the flight taken off? And as I was thinking about that in this message, it struck me how easy it is to miss Christmas by just that much. First of all, we, we just had Thanksgiving, right? And statistics say that Thanksgiving is the most traveled holiday in the United States. So many of you probably had something like that going on. Then you came back and boom, it's, all of a sudden it's Christmas stuff piling up all around you. Decorations to find in the attic or the basement or the shed. Get those out. Try to get those up. Oh, they're shopping to do. Maybe you're the kind of family where they want to get you stuff, but you have to kind of come up with a list of what it is you like. That you know, that's one you'd like, and two won't break break the bed, budget for them, right? Oh, you got to figure out what you're going to do on Christmas. Are you going to travel? Or are you going to stay here? Is it going to be at your house or somebody else's house? Who's going to cook? What are they going to bring? Who's going to cook what? Oh, you got to wrap everything, clean everything. You got to coordinate the schedules, right? When are you going to open presents? When will the babies be awake so that you can actually? do that and be have good moods there for the pictures, right? And I know that for you gals in particular, you feel like you've entered, and I think Emily, lawyer described it best last week, you've entered a war zone when Christmas season comes. And for me, there's a this pastor gig thing, right? Got to prepare a Christmas message, got to prepare a Christmas Eve message, and the end of the year is coming up, so I've got to make sure I'm trying to line up messages for 2017, and it all comes at a time. But there's this increased pressure to be available for family. Maybe you've felt some of that too. Stuff at work you want to get done before the end of the year. And maybe you're missing a friend or a family who's no longer around. It's really easy to miss the most important part of Christmas by just that much. So we've got one week before the 25th. So here's what I'm going to do today. I want to look at some accounts of other people who've missed Christmas And then some who didn't. I don't think anyone wanted to miss Christmas, but some of them did. Maybe they had some things going on that sound just a little bit like us. Maybe these will cause us to make some adjustments over these next few days. First one is in the book of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It's probably the most uh, well-known, most familiar of the Christmas stories. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration or census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He'd be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And While they were there, the time came for her to give birth And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So, story, you've heard it before, tells us that there's a very pregnant Mary. You know, she was very pregnant because she was told told that when the time came for the baby to be born, he came. That means she was full term, no four-pound thing, was about an eight-pound, 12-ounce, I'm sure. He was not a preemie. Right on time, they've made their way by the decree of Caesar Augustus, all the way from their, where they're living, all the way to uh, up, uh, where they're in Nazareth up north, and they've come to Bethlehem, which is down south. Now, if you score high on reading comprehension, you might be thinking something. The story says they went up from Nazareth, a city in the Galilee region, not down. But wait, but on a map, if you look at it, Galilee is way up north in Israel. And Bethlehem is down south. So so shouldn't the Bible have said that they went down, not up? Oh man, is is this an error in Scripture? Is this a cause for us to throw the whole Bible out because it's got discrepancies? No. Settle down. The direction here is not referring to latitude and longitude. It's referring to elevation. To get to Jerusalem and Bethlehem from Galilee, and frankly to get to Jerusalem and Bethlehem from almost any other place, in the nation of Israel, you're gonna go uphill into the mountains. The Bible will almost always refer to when people are going to Jerusalem, they're going up, no matter which direction they're actually headed, because you gotta to climb to get there. Okay, good deal with that. You got any, you got any questions about that? I didn't want anybody to be distracted by geographical issues. Okay, but for, okay, we'll go on. So we're told they arrived there just in the nick of time, but for whatever reason, she's turned away from the inn because there's no room. Now, let's be honest. In our day and age, in our culture even, if someone is ready to give birth, we would probably note that as something rather urgent. And dealing with the pregnant gal uh, would no doubt rise to the top of our priority list. We've, we've got an emergency here. We've got to take care of this. We've got to do whatever's required to help get this pregnant lady the care and attention that she needs, right? But here's an inn. That turns her away, and we kind of have to assume that there's an innkeeper who did it. Probably had a no vacancy sign out. I think a lot of times this guy can get a bad rap. We vilify this person as the kind of non caring moron that we love to hate. He's the mean old grinchy dude that says, Sorry, nothing for you here, and kind of shoes them off. But I want to take just a minute to try to defend this guy. Everybody deserves a good defense, right? And see if I can do something good for him because even though totally agree with what he did, I think he may have had some very good reasons for the way he responded to this couple. First of all, there's a nationwide sentence being conducted throughout the entire Roman Empire, and the rules for the census dictate everybody has to go back to their hometown. That means Bethlehem is probably packed out, which means it's not just then this innkeeper that has a no vacancy sign, it's probably every inn in town. So this innkeeper is full up, and he's really, really busy. And on top of that, Bethlehem just happens to be the hometown of the most famous king in all of Israel's history, King David. That's right. And if everybody's returning to their hometowns, that means that the people in Bethlehem at this time are from the line, the lineage, their direct descendants of King David. They're God's people. It's the family that's going to usher in the Messiah. So this innkeeper has maybe a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to wait on, to care for, to meet the needs of, to serve this incredible family tree. What what a blessing for him, right? What an amazing opportunity that he's been given. I mean, is this a good thing that he's doing? Well, absolutely. Is, is Is it even a great thing that he's doing? Sure. Is this the outcome God would have preferred? From the innkeeper? Hmm. Don't know. But uh, but I do know this. Every year around Christmas, I break out the little wooden nativity scene made from olive wood from Israel. It's got the manger, got a little wooden Joseph, little wooden Mary, little wooden baby Jesus on a little wooden stack of hay, right? You got the little wooden lambs and the little wooden donkeys. And if your nativity scene is like mine, because you've got a history of that nativity scene being played with, with little kids, there's probably a couple little plastic pigs from the Nauana program at church, and maybe a rubber alligator in there too, right? If You got kids who play with the with the nativity scenes, you get some strange critters that show up. That's all I'm saying. But think about this. Here's what I've never seen in the nativity scene. And my guess is you've never seen this in a nativity scene. You never see an innkeeper in the nativity scene. He doesn't. Make it. Why is that? Well, he was too busy. He was preoccupied. I mean, seriously, do you know what we could be doing on Christmas? We could be setting up our little wooden olive wood inns. We'd have cute little wooden chairs, little wooden dressers, little wooden beds, little wooden nightstands, little wooden lamps. And there in the middle would be a little wooden Joseph's and Mary's. With her own little room, little wooden baby Jesus in his little wooden cradle, wooden blankets, all nice and warm, fireplace going. And over in the corner, surely, surely there would be some little plastic pigs and a rubber alligator, and maybe an Anna or Elsa doll, or maybe Olaf. But in the middle would be the innkeeper. We we love the innkeeper, right? He would always go out and put up his vacancy sign because there's always room for Jesus in his inn. Wouldn't that be? awesome, but that's not what we do. He doesn't show up. He doesn't make it. And he misses Christmas. And if I'm being totally honest with you, (laughs) I kind of feel like this story sums up my past couple of weeks. Been crazy trying to get Jackie over a sinus infection, right? Been trying to work hard, put things down, get upstairs, spend time with her, do the cooking, cleaning, that kind of stuff. But it's a Even when I'm doing that, it's easy to find that there's leftover church stuff to do, right? Got to make this phone call, deal with this. Then there's the $1,800 bill from the doctor and the effort to get the ex post facto pre authorization to this post-procedure world that I'm having to live in to kind of get that taken care of. I don't know about you. I've been busy with some really kind of good stuff, important stuff. If you're in the same boat, how many of us, if we were just being honest, would say, you know, We played just a little bit of an innkeeper role this last few weeks. Been so busy that we're in danger of missing it by that much. Preoccupied with good things, maybe not the best things. You wanna miss Christmas? Be the innkeeper. I think we can fill our plates with so much good stuff that we miss the God stuff. And in the middle of the hosting, in the middle of the shopping, middle of decorating a tree, which, by the way, hear me, it's all great stuff. Somehow we can miss the best of the good news of Christmas. So don't be the innkeeper. But there's other people who miss it, too. Second story, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. We're going to hear in a minute or two why all the city was troubled when Herod, when Herod was troubled. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And these guys are smart. They're so learned, right? They're going to actually quote an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Micah That predicts the exact birthplace of the Messiah. And it says this, starting in verse six, here's what they tell the king. They're quoting this passage out of Micah And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I, too, may come and worship him. And if you read on in that passage, you find out Herod's words were totally bogus. He had no intention of worshiping. He wanted to kill that Messiah. Why? Well, he was threatened. Boy, get serious. I mean, Herod's afraid of a little baby? Was that baby got, like, super wrestling skills or something? Why is he threatened by a baby? See, history tells us this. Herod was an Edomite. Not even Jewish. But because of his political savvy, because he rode the coattails of his dad, he started rubbing elbows with the Roman government. And he did this so well that eventually he was named King of the Jews by the Roman government. Wait a minute, the guy's not even Jewish. He's walking around with the title King of the Jews? Yeah. So when there's a prophecy that a child is going to be born who's going to have the title King of the Jews, you think Herod feels threatened? Yeah, not for his life, but for his crown and his position. That's what was on the line. And listen, he guarded that with everything that was in him. History tells us Herod married a Jewish woman named Marianne just to make himself a little more eh, acceptable to the Jews. He was incredibly jealous, suspicious, and afraid of losing his position power. In fact, one time he was fearing a threat. He had the high priest, Aristobulus, who was the brother of Marianna's wife, drowned, and then through this big funeral thing where he pretended to weep, right? He then ultimately had Marianne herself killed, then her mother, and two of his own sons. Five days before he died, he killed a third son. He knew that no one would mourn his passing in Jerusalem, so he had uh, the army, arrest all of the distinguished citizens of Jerusalem and hold them in prison. And at the moment when Herod died, they were to be executed to ensure that there would at least be some mourning taking place in the city of Jerusalem at his passing. Those barbaric acts were only exceeded by his attempt to kill all the male children in Bethlehem and environs who were two years old or younger to thwart any potential threat to his throne. And when we read this, we tend to see Herod as this like incredibly evil dude, so much in competition with Jesus that we sort of just write ourselves out of the story because that would never be me, right? I mean, that would never be you. That would never be us. I mean, maybe, just maybe, we might have some innkeeper tendencies here and there, you know, getting really busy with the good stuff that we maybe miss the God stuff. But hey, I'm I'm no Herod, and because we don't think so, we miss seeing ourselves in him. So listen, Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for ours. Every one of us who are Christians, we have committed by declaring him to be not only Savior, but Lord, to wake up every single day and submit our lives totally to him, to surrender our wills to his. We are, as the Bible says, to pick up our crosses and follow him daily. My life is no longer about serving me, but serving Him believing that in doing so, I will end up with life and life to the full. That's the deal. (laughs) problem is, if you're like me, more often than not, how do we surrender? We surrender only pieces, not our whole life. We surrender conditionally. We say, God, I will crown you in this area of my life as long as you leave me alone over here in this area. God, you're Lord of my Sunday mornings, but leave me the heck alone during the week. I'll go to a small group, but you know what? Leave me alone. I'm going to rule over my own finances. Here's the problem. See, when the king shows up, he doesn't negotiate. He threatens every single area where you and I try to remain on the throne. We're trying to be in charge. And the Christmas story is not just about a Savior. It's about a Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he demands it. That's the deal. And when we surrender, we're not in a position to negotiate anymore. Jesus says, I want it all. I want your relationships. I want your ethics, your finances, your sexuality, your the whole shooting match. It's mine. If obedience to Christ in your life has not demanded that kind of sacrifice, that kind of change, that kind of surrender, then maybe he's not Lord of your life at all. You want to miss Christmas? Be your own king. But then the third group that miss Christmas. Right here in the story, there's another group of guys who miss Christmas. See, Herod hears about this baby and he rounds up all the religious leaders. He gets the Pharisees, he gets the chief priests, and he says, tell me everything I need to know about this baby so I know how to respond. And these guys are no dummies. Most of them have memorized the entire Bible so they know what it says. They're able to quote from memory all the references that deal with this prophecy. Not only that, but they're Jewish. That means their entire culture has been waiting, waiting, waiting for this moment when the Messiah would arrive, this individual who would set everything right. If you were a Jew during this period and you knew the prophetic timeline given by the book of Daniel, you would have been all kinds of excited. You're so ready for Messiah. After all, you're living under Roman oppression and occupation. You have been waiting for a Savior. And here are their religious leaders. They know. They've studied it. They can quote scripture about it. And it's right here. They got Jesus, the Son of God, in their own backyard. He's right over there in Bethlehem, a short jaunt away. But wait, isn't there a huge disconnect in this story? I mean, they're nowhere to be found in the Nativity nativities. They didn't need them. They had their religion. They were fine. They were so focused on memorizing the Word of God that they missed the work of God that the Word of God pointed to. So focused on their religion, they completely missed what Jesus was doing for the relationship that had to be established with God. They've got their instructions. They've got their directions. they got the plans direct from God himself. they got the Word of God sitting in their laps, and they do nothing with it. Sound familiar? Don't we sometimes forget that God's word is actually the word of God given to us? If I'm being totally honest with you, as a pastor, it's sometimes easy to have the word God of the word of God sitting in my lap and do nothing with it. Sometimes I have to slap myself and wonder what happened to the heart that was in pursuit of the Scriptures and the God it talks about. Because I want to be the guy that encounters Christ at church. In my study, in my daily walk through life, I want to be the person who's excited about waking up and wondering what is God going to be doing with me today. But sometimes, going to church, reading the Word, appearing a message, it can be just something I check off. The to-do list. I I fear I'm not alone. You, You want to miss Christmas? Be religious. Learn scripture but don't love what it says, and don't do what it says. Don't obey as if it's truth from God himself. See, the religious leaders convinced themselves that the Christmas message is only for the other people, those who needed it, because I don't need it. I've got me covered. I've kept the law, at least I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty good on my own merits. I mean, looking around, it's pretty clear I'm the cream of the crop here. I've got righteousness from my good works. that puts me way ahead of everybody else, all the riffraff. And these guys missed Christmas because they didn't think they needed it. They have no need for a Savior. They'll get to heaven on their own. The problem is what's required is perfection. They and we fall short. We all need the Savior that Christmas is about. We just forget sometimes. Okay, maybe this has been pretty convicting. So let me end on a high note of hope. We look at the last group, who kind of surprisingly were the ones who didn't miss Christmas. And if you had read this account about if you well, if you'd written, if you read this account before Jesus showed up, my guess is no one would have believed that it would be possible. Surely you jest would be your retort. Surely this group of people would not have been the ones to get Christmas. We've already read part of the story, it's about the shepherds. After announcing the Messiah has arrived, the angel tells them this. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace good peace among those with whom he is well pleased when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the baby lying in a manger And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them." I think they also wondered why the shepherds are telling him, because these are, well, shepherds. Unlike the innkeeper, unlike Herod, unlike the religious leaders, they they do end up in the nativity scene, right? I mean, all the others had all the information they needed about him from the scriptures, enough to know what was up. But here's, here's a group that maybe needed a little extra encouragement, A little extra effort from God to get the shepherds on board. I mean, these guys in Israel, the shepherds, were considered to be the lowest of the low. They were on the social scale, the lowest on the totem pole. They deal with sheep and excrement, and death. And as such, they were considered unclean. Being unclean meant they were not even allowed to go in the temple. But there it is. There it is, John 3.16, displayed for us to see. For God so loved The world. Yeah, yeah, all the world. Everyone in the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, that he would send his son for the whole world. And how amusing of God to make that point this way with the shepherds. By sending the message of the birth of Savior to a group of dudes who would never have been allowed to even enter the temple and make sacrifices, Yeah, yeah, maybe they more than the innkeeper. Maybe they more than Herod. Maybe they more than the religious leaders would have needed a little extra encouragement to have even been able to imagine that they were included in God's plan to rescue anyone who would come to Christ. We're told two things about the shepherds. One, they're tending their flocks. They're doing good things, taking care of the sheep, doing what they were supposed to be doing. Angel shows up, scares them practically to death. They're terrified. The angel says, I know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're looking after the sheep. It's cool, good thing, but we don't want you to miss a better thing. Leave the sheep. We'll hang out here, to take care of, it, make sure they don't go anywhere. Uh, that's not in the Bible. It's just my own interpretation. Don't you think that's what the angels would have done? You got you something more important to do than sheep right now. Get yourselves up and get to Bethlehem. Go take a look. And although they're afraid, although they're stunned, although they're shocked, what do they do? They get up. And they go. Bethlehem in haste. They hear. They respond. They stop doing what they're doing, as good as it was, to get something that was better. And they're so pumped up. They see the baby. They leave the baby. They start going around. They praise God. They glorify God for everything that they've heard and seen. They become the first evangelists for Jesus Christ because they weren't too busy. They weren't too threatened. And they knew they needed a Savior because they were outcasts. Look, Look, here's what I found interesting in this whole scene. Everybody got what they wanted at first Christmas. The innkeeper got to keep a full inn. Herod held on to his position. And the religious leaders got to hold on to their religion. Of course, what they got didn't last. Innkeeper's dead now, don't you think? Is in probably rubble. Herod died only a short time after the events recorded here. Pharisees are gone too. All those who died without Christ don't have a whole lot to look forward to. They sold everything for the short term and ended up losing everything for the long term. But the shepherds, they left the temporary behind. They followed and they worshipped this Savior, this Lord, this Messiah. Yeah, they may have left some sheep behind, but they gained everything for all eternity. We have one week left before we celebrate Jesus coming as Messiah. Let's not have it come and go without us taking the time to worship and celebrate this incredible love that has been shown to us. Don't be too busy. Don't be too threatened. Don't be so cocksure of your own goodness to know that just how much everything about where you are going to end up in eternity rests on Jesus because you don't want to miss it by that much. Let's pray.